Hello. Hi. Welcome to the Book Jam. I am Marissa, a teen librarian. I am Mary, a sort of teen librarian. Always fun to clarify that. And <laughs> Right? I'm the Schrodinger's cat of librarians. Am I? Am I not? Am I? What is it? What is a librarian? And we are here to talk about books. What kind of books? Young adult, middle grade, graphic novels, audiobooks, LGBTQIA, and more. Come jam with us on the book jam we have a twitter you should follow it it's the book jam one we have stickers we'll send you one if you tell us to we will do that yay and we're glad to be back i know we had a gap there for a while we had summer vacations electrical power outages good times for all but we're back on schedule we could just say we had 2020 that's we suffered from 2020 Mm-hmm. Okay, so do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I would love to go first. I'm so excited to talk about my first book. All right. Do it. Yes, my first book is called Thirteens, plural. If you're like me and are terrible with spelling the titles right, it is Thirteen, plural. Um, it is by Kate Alice Marshall. It was published just a few days ago, a week or so ago, on August 18th, 2020. They suggest it is for grades four to seven, but we'll talk about that. Here's what it says from the publisher. It's a fun, creepy, spooky book. So every 13 years in the town of Eden Eld, three 13-year-olds disappear. Eleanor has just moved to the quiet, prosperous town when she awakens to discover an ancient grandfather clock that she's never seen before outside her room. She's sure her eyes must be playing tricks on her, but then she spots a large bird staring at her as she boards the school bus. And a black dog with glowing red eyes follows her around town. All she wants is to be normal. These are far from normal. And worse, no one else can see them. Except for her new friends, Pip and Otto, who teach her a thing or two about surviving in Eden Eld. First, don't let the wrong things know that you can see them. Second, don't speak of the wrong things to anyone else. The only other clue they have about these supernatural disturbances is a book of fairy tales unlike anything they've read before. It tells tales of the mysterious Mr. January who struck a cursed deal with the town's founders. Every 13th Halloween, he will take three of their children who are never heard from again. It's up to our trio to break the curse because Eden L's 13 years are up. And Eleanor, Pip, and Otto are marked as his next sacrifice. With an ending prime for a sequel, you'll finish it and demand to know when the next book will come out. Dun, 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 dun. So this book is awesome. People describe it as Neil Gaiman's Coraline meets Stranger Things and a dark, twisted story about a sleepy town with a dark secret. I definitely would say this is for fans of small spaces. Um, and even as a little bit of a YA touch, if you've ever read or heard of The Devouring Grey by Christine Lynn Herman, um, that book is set uh, on the edge of a town where a beast haunts the woods tra- mm-hmm. and that's trapped in the gray, but it's like capital G gray. And the bonds on the, the woods of the gray area are loosening. So this one is delightful. I get, again, I would definitely recommend it as a direct read-alike for anybody that likes small spaces. That's one book that I've been reading and promoting for years since it first, actually before it first came out. It's that spooky kind of goosebumps fun to it. So I know it's not always a, a reference point the youngest kids will get, even though maybe their parents had goosebumps, so they get the goosebumps books from the library. But it is just delightful, and it's not too scary in the villain part, though I will say I've seen some Goodreads reviews or some reviews that do mention trigger warnings. Kate Alice Marshall is a super awesome author. 
but she's also written more teen and high school books. Trigger warnings for parent abandonment, attempted murder, and house fire recounted. You're like, what? And this is something they tell you in the very beginning is that the girl is staying with her aunt in this town because her mom set the house on fire and her mom either disappeared or was presumably dead. So, you know, that could be upsetting. So for a book that is reviewers and the publishers say is for ages 8 to 12, that could be a little upsetting. It could be. But if you take it as a spooky story in that kind of frame, you know, with a lot of fairy tales, you have like crazy intense, like, oh yeah, the parent tried to murder the kid. So just know there's that in case you have a sensitive reader, but I thoroughly enjoyed it as one of those kind of books to read in the dark, like under your covers, like, ooh, what spooky thing is going to happen next? I will say they're not framing it as a series, but it is. And that's the only thing that you'll hate about it probably as for recommending it is that there's not the next book. So it does conclude a plot arc, but it leaves it open for more fun so what do you think how that sounds that sounds pretty good like I feel like I would read that and I would have readers that would want to read that too because like I have some kids that are just can you give me something that's like goosebumps but like I'm older now so I would like something not as goosebumpsy but still give me the give me the horror give me the creep yes and it's not full horror it's more spooky side I my next book is definitely horror for olders um I and the funny thing is a lot of the books that I'm reading about now are seated as this meets that due to the success of stranger things so many books are seated as this meets stranger things and i'm like this is one of them where it's like the upside down so it's fun because it takes a you know there's a delay in publishing of a year or so um depending on what it is where it's like the newest hot thing i feel like i keep seeing is stranger things meets this and it's it's really funny to me that i'm like not that stranger things is bad it's great it's just that's the new like touch point reference point that I keep seeing everywhere. Yeah, it's you have that one book or that one pop culture thing that like quote unquote defines a genre. Like we talked about that a little bit with Slay. Yes. Actually, I don't know if we talked about that with Slay or I've had that conversation separately, not on this podcast about people saying, oh, Ready Player One. And I'm like, this is not like Ready Player One, but it's like it has video games. Ready Player One's video games. And I'm just like, (sighs) there's a lot of genre within video games as well as books that include video games so yes uh, i mean it's it's great when they're like if you feel like there's no books on video games and then there's one you're like well that's the one you go to but you're like yeah but there's other ones enough that you can it's a greater diversity but some people just don't every for a long time it was just the hunger the hunger games meets blah you're like is it is it really or like you know the twilight meets and you're like okay let's chill on yeah games. stranger things and ready player one are the new touchstones for sure it is um, i get it okay but yeah so, so delightful that's awesome i'm gonna talk about my book so the first one i have is a middle grade comic called hotel dare it is by terry bloss and the illustration is by claudia aguire and one of the reasons i love this is because it is a story that features Aladdin X family, but also the creators are, I believe they both, their families are both from Mexico. So it has a lot of like the Mexican culture with like the Day of the Dead and kind of woven into it. And it's really, really cool. And it's got a little bit of a mystery in it too. So it's like a really great book for middle grade. And the art, I like, I love Claudia Aguirre's art. I actually went to go pull it off the shelf because I read this a little while ago and I wanted to book talk it, but lo and behold, it's checked out. I was like, oh dang. Um, a good sign. 
I know. And like, I like Terry Bloss's stuff because he also wrote um, Deadweight, Murder at Camp Bloom that came out the year before. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you read that one. No. Where, like, it's a bunch of kids that get sent to fat camp and one of the counselors, like the counselors start dropping off <laughs> and these kids are like convinced somebody's murdering their counselors. And so they're trying to solve the mystery. It's really funny. And it also talks about society's obsession with being thin and how like, you know, you can be the shape that you are and that is totally fine. And it's, it's really, really good. But yeah, so we're going to talk about Hotel Dare. I will read the description. So this is put out by Boom Studios. And I honestly haven't read anything by Boom Studios that's bad. No, uh, everything, is, lot of, everything is great. Yeah, they do a lot of, I know we both love Giant Days, which is on Boom. Um, but they do a lot of like really good, like middle grade and teen comics for sure. Um, so the synopsis is Olive and her adopted siblings, Charlotte and Darwin, are spending the summers with their estranged grandma at her creepy hotel, and it's all work and no play. They're stuck inside during boring chores, but they soon stumble upon an incredible secret. Behind each room door of the hotel lies a portal to a different, strange, mysterious place. The simple turn of a knob transports them to a distant, magical world filled with space pirates. Behind the next door, there's bearded wizards. Down the hall is a doorway to a cotton candy kingdom. But once the doors are open, worlds start colliding, and only one family can save them before they tear themselves apart. Um, it's really cute. And part of it is also kind of like resolving some family dynamics. Mm-hmm. So the grandma's estranged from their dad. One of the kids is new to the family. So she's very, she doesn't quite completely know like where she fits in or trust it. Like she's like, you know, other people have just thrown me out before. Mm-hmm. What makes this family any different? I've been through the foster system. They start exploring and they kind of come together. And then they find out the grandma actually lost the grandpa to one of these portals years ago. And so she's been searching for him. So it's this whole quest to reunite the family. And there's some really awesome like Day of the Dead stuff that kind of comes into play too. And so the artwork is super cool because you have like this really cool old like oh I'm posing on the outside. Like really cool. And then you go inside and it's like, okay, there's this hotel rooms, whatever. Things keep changing and there's all this stuff. And it's just like a really fun mystery. And it's, you know, it's not too long. So it's a great book to give to reluctant readers because the action is like, boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. Wait, why is this? Wait, so we've got like a sci-fi thing going over here with space pirates. And then there's like this weird cloud thing that wants to be my friend, but everything else in this kingdom wants to kill me. And then there's this other portal with like this like wizards, but this wizard's like really bad at being a wizard. So like there's all this stuff and it's just really, really cool. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I actually, and Terry Blast, when he writes, he's also good at writing comedy, too. So it has that where, like, you've got action, but it's also funny. And then there's, like, a surprise and a mystery. And the color, I can't remember who did the art, the colors for this. It must have been Claudia Aguirre, because I don't see a colorist on here. There's just another letterer, Mike Florentino. But I like the colors, too, because, like, you get, like, the mystical purples and stuff in some point. And it's just, it's really fun. It's really fun. I mean, Mary, you have me at Space Pirates, honestly. What? <laughs> I'm like, oh, space pirates. Question for you. Is the age range for this graphic novel? I put it in middle grade, but I can see like fourth and fifth graders reading it too. Just because I do have like a tween graphic novel collection. Mm-hmm. And the tween stuff, I usually like things that are definitely like younger for like third and fourth graders. Even though people will put like fifth grade on the bisac for it. I'm just like, eh, no, it depends on the story. But this one I threw in our middle grade. But kids can easily 
fourth and fifth graders easily could read this too. Okay, cool. Now, it kind of reminded me, not fully, a little bit of the Backstagers graphic novel and how you described Stagers, volume one by James Tinney and the fourth. Big mouth full oh. of a name. Yes. That's, that's right. He actually has a new horror book that for adults is about to come out. Well, I like that reminded me about Backstagers is that there was this misfit kid, new school, all boys school, and he joins the like backstage hands on theater and they find out there's this whole magical world with all these other like doorways to other worlds and paint colors that don't exist and weird spidery creatures like in a fun way so i thought of that a little bit yeah because i'm always looking for more middle grade or younger trending graphic novels because our graphic novel readers just devour everything like they go through kids fiction and then i often try to by younger for my teen graphic novel collection where I have some middle grade titles I have definitely high school older titles of all different bits but they are just voracious so I might even give them like hey this is a bit older but you know or just highlight it or they pick it up on their own because they would see it on the new graphic novel shelf and that's a great thing about graphic novels is you can read six in one day and be like great more is that they just can't get enough of it yeah, and the thing I like about this, too, is that Backstagers is very rooted in, like, high school drama. Mm-hmm. Um, literal high school drama, because it's the drama club. Yeah. Whereas Hotel Dare is really rooted in family dynamics. And, like, where do you fit in your family? You know, you have family estrangement between the grandmother and the dad. And then you find out, like, there's the missing grandfather. And, like, there really is a, a comic about what makes a family. What does a family look like? Mm. And the reality is families look like all kinds of things. Appreciate that it's from uh, two people who created this are Latinx, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's it's definitely got a different type of vibe than you don't normally see. And I think that it's really important when we have our graphic novels to also make sure we have diverse creators, cultures that are represented within that. Because often graphic novels are going through a huge boom right now. Mm-hmm. But we all know the big booms always start with like the white author first. Yes. So we're starting to get more diverse voices. And I think it's important to purchase those, not just for our readers, but also to show the publishing world that we also value those stories and voices. So I believe there's like a little bit of an LGBT storyline in it too, because Terry Blass is also a queer creator as well. Cool. This reminded me a little bit, uh, there's one I just read this week and I'd hope to talk about it on the show, but I think it it started off as a webcomic and it's only available, at least for my Avon patrons, on like Hoopla. I can't buy a print version of this. It's like, oh, is it Cince? Cince by Sebastian Cadlicic. Sorry if I um, murdered your name. And then Kit Steinkellner was the writer on this graphic novel and Emma Steinkellner, who I talked about um, OK Witch forever ago. Um, she did that. Oh, and then there's Valerie, Valeria Trainier was the translator. So yeah, Lupe has her quinceanera. And on that day, she also magically gets superpowers. And I didn't pick it up when I first started reading it is that she literally only gets one year of powers. Like she only has it this special year of her when she turns 15, like you're a transition to an adult. It's so beautiful. And like, the casual positive family representation because the author is the Sebastian, I should say, Catalysic is Latinx. And he was inspired by seeing his nieces and they love superheroes. And he wanted to create like a superhero that celebrated their like Latinxness, have more superheroes that look like them. And also it's very body positive and it's portrayals and casual diversity of like the high school. It's not all just white people, which is great. So that yeah. it's, it's silly, but it's not, it's so important like to, as throwaway a comment as that could be is that to have casual diversity it's so good so i'm glad more latinx authors are getting out there and getting their voices heard because you're right we're in a huge boom of graphic novels and i love it and also i just looked it up because i wanted to make sure because i was like oh i don't want to 
short Claudia Aguirre. Claudia Aguirre, who's the illustrator, is also a Latinx queer creator, too. So she's also done some other very LGBT comics. Uh, Like, she did the illustration for, like, one of the Kim and Kims, um, which is a great, weird space comic done by Mags Basario, who is a really cool trans woman. And Kim and Kim, like, falls in that line of, like, awesome LGBT, just, you know, two women kicking ass. Um, I believe that's a transfer as well. I've not read it yet. I have it on my shelf. I am the worst of my to be read pile. But it's really cool. And she's also worked on some other queer comics as well. So it's great that we're not just getting, like, we're getting, like, an intersection of representations. So, and it's just such a fun, sweet story. Who doesn't love a mystery with a family? (laughs) I love it. I mean that's that's one of the things that like the genre of if you ask for mystery it's so wide it could be anything that it's like oh you know it, it could go anywhere so like you give me something else so if they want like well graphic novel like oh i got like 20 of those so it's great to have one more thing to have in your back pocket to like read and buy again oh, to support totally. them so i'm excited to hear about it and also i love it when i hear about i love hearing about books anyway even books i've read that you've read i'm like i love hearing how excited you are so i even i especially love hearing about one i hadn't heard of that i hadn't heard of either of your two books so i'm excited to add it to my to be read and buy it for my library Cool. What's your next book? All right. So my next book, and this is not cheating. It is also by Kate Alice Marshall. I also read it this summer. It is uh, Rules for Vanishing. This one is definitely um, like a high school horror read. (laughs) It's definitely different because you were talking before how you want, um, sometimes the kids want like that horror, that scary. This one went there. Fun fact, when I picked it up, I was confusing it with another books I feel like have are having a trend of like the rules for vanishing or there's this other book of like people going into the woods and I was confusing the plot of it so when the book I thought I was reading wasn't the book I was about to read so it was super jarring for me for it to go full horror crazy I loved it so <laughs> right I mean it's almost kind of better sometimes I like going in blind to books but I it wasn't what I thought it was but in a good, yeah. good way I get that. That's what happened to me with this last book, too. But please continue. Why is your book amazing? Okay. So this is the description from the publisher. In the faux documentary style of the Blair Witch Project comes the campfire story of a missing girl, a vengeful vengeful ghost, and a girl who is determined to find her sister at all costs. You see, once a year, a road appears in the forest, and at the end of it, the ghost of Lucy Gallows beckons. Lucy's game isn't for the faint of heart. If you win, you escape with your life. But if you lose, hmm. Sarah's sister disappeared one year ago, and only Sarah knows where she is. Becca went to find the ghost of Lucy Gallows and is trapped on the road that leads to her. In the sleepy town of Briar Glen, Lucy's road is nothing more than local lore. But Sarah knows it's real, and she's going to find it. And when Sarah and her skeptical friends meet in the forest to search for Becca, the mysterious road unfurls before them. All they have to do is walk down it, but the path to Lucy is not of this world and it has its own rules. Every mistake summons new horrors. Vengeful spirits and broken, angry creatures are waiting for them to slip and no one is guaranteed safe passage. The only certainty is this. The road has a toll and it will be paid. Sarah knows that if she steps onto the road, she might not come back. But Becca needs her, and Lucy is waiting. So that's from the publisher. It's amazing. So, yeah, didn't know it was going to be horror, and it was great. The publisher, if you go by, like, Baker and Taylor, which is where my library buys books from, or even one of the three main book reviewers that I kind of check, they said I said 12 and up. And I was like, ah, 
unless you're like a super horror kid, like this is your life. Um, I would definitely say this is more grades nine and up because it definitely went there in a good way. It was cool, but <laughs> but I didn't expect some of the, the horror that happened to happen to it. I did look at some of the reviews and like Kirkus does kind of critique it that the setup is slow and complicated, but it does have many diverse characters, relationships, and supernatural rules. While normally something to be celebrated, the diverse cast feels forced and inauthentic like moons orbiting the main white protagonist, Sarah. Becca is her sister. She is adopted. Uh, she is Asian, though her, uh, her ethnicity is never specified and adopted. So the plot eventually picks up its pace. If you have a realistic fiction, we know the world that we're going to be in. If you're trying to set up a fantasy or a sci-fi, you have to establish the rules. This is set in the real world, but then it goes into the supernatural worlds of the road. It takes a while to establish who the sub-characters are. There's a big group of friends that all had ties to the missing sister, Becca, and everyone in the real world just thinks she ran away with her boyfriend. They don't think she's actually gone. And this has been eating up the main character, Sarah, for the whole year. It is definitely like the Blair Witch Project in that it has like faux documentary style. You get um, text messages, you get found phone camera footage, and they intersplice that with interviews because you know... You start the book off after some people have come back and then this person is interviewing someone or different people and they're kind of recounting what they know. So you go along with it. I don't want to give things away. It's not a skinny book by any means, but it's definitely a well-written book. And I think Kate Alice Marshall, this was, I think, her second book. Her first book was I Am Still Alive which is a revenge survival story of a girl whose father dies and she's alone surviving in the woods. And she also knows who the killer is, wants to kill him. So I feel like she's on a cool trend where she's done that realistic survival. Then she did this crazy horror, horror book that was fun. And then now she like just switched it up and did, I did a middle grade spooky. So I thought I was very firm in that like 13s is spooky. This is horror. But I with Halloween coming up, I mean, why not start celebrating spooky month of October earlier? It's just fun. So you said this sounds kind of interesting to you. What do you think, Mary? Yeah, no, it sounds really good. I like horror a whole lot, but I also find that like middle grade horror frustrates me because it's not really <laughs> horror. It's just spooky. Yes. Um, because people are too afraid to scare children. And I'm like, no, there's like a subset of children that want to be scared because I was one and we have kids that ask for stuff. A lot of kids who really want to do that, who are readers, they'll start reading Stephen King at like seventh and eighth grade if they're if they are reader readers. Yes, because um, kids read up, and like Stephen King is not hard to gronk, really. Parents usually don't want them to read it, which just makes it even more. Yes, I will read the book. That, I will read the thing you don't want me to read. So right, make it forbidden. I mean, right. I've, I've had a library patrons when we could meet in person. There was one girl who came to me, I think, as a sixth grader, and her dad was like, at the end of his rope, he's like, she's been reading Stephen King since she was in fifth grade. He's like, what can you get her in the teen room? And in my head, I'm like, well, if she can handle Stephen King. This girl can handle a lot of the things that we have in the teen room. But there's, so there's always a push and pull of the parents and what the kid wants, what the kid can handle. So it's always a fun you know, balance of trying to appease the parents, but then like talking out of the side of your mouth to the kid of like, does this actually sound interesting to you versus like giving them something kind of saccharine and like, oh, this is happy, sweet, cute. And it's not what they want at all, but I want them to keep reading. So again, it's a fun balance when you got the parent and the kid there. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah, we did on our YouTube library book talk thing that we did last week. We did thrillers. And I was so mad because Stephanie Perkins, Someone's in Your House, yes. which is 
horror thriller wasn't yes. on the shelf. Which I'm just like, I mean, I'm glad somebody checked it out. But at the same time, I'm like, I want to talk about this book. Like a fair amount of like really good teen horror that's supposed to be coming out this fall. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty excited about that because I'm like, yes, give me the dumb book that's based on 80 slashers movies. That's what I want. Um, right. I know. I was like, as a feminist, how is Friday the 13th one of your favorite movies? It's like you put it on hold because you know it's stupid. Like you you understand what you're getting. So. They're going to go in the basement. They're going to go through that wrong turn. They're going to like separate. Otherwise, if everyone did everything right and smart, you wouldn't have the horror movie fun. Exactly. And I don't always like newer horror movies because they're just jump scares. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the kids that I know like horror here are like, did you watch Annabelle? And I'm like, about the creepy doll? No, that's stupid. Like, it's just not my type of horror. That's fine. Like, I'm glad you enjoy it. I was really excited about Midsummer. Like, I still think about Midsummer. I created a whole Midsummer part of my Animal Crossing island. Um, <laughs> it's a giant bonfire with a the giant teddy bear in the middle um, and you don't realize you're walking into it and all of a sudden you're like oh what is this so I'm going to talk about my book now because yeah. I'm like getting off topic second book are you going to talk about I didn't know what this book was really about I thought I did but then I started reading and I was like this description is not accurate this is amazing so I read Last Girls by Demetra Brodsky um, I think this is her second book. Her debut, according to her bio in the back, was Dive Smack. Okay. Which came out, it was a 2018 Junior Library Guild selection, oh. among some other things. So I'm kind of curious to read that because I like a good thriller. Yeah, so this book, let's see. It's a twisting, suspenseful YA thriller about sisterhood, survival, and family secrets set in the world of doomsday prepping. Um, no one knows how the world will end. And on a secret compound in the Washington wilderness, Honey Jupiter and her sisters are training to hunt homestead and protect their own prepare for every situation but when danger strikes from within putting her sisters at risk training becomes real life and only one thing is certain nowhere is safe so i assumed that when i picked up this book because this book has a really cool cover it's three sisters on the cover and two of the like one of them's looking dead at you and the other one's kind of looking at you from a little bit behind her hair and the other one's looking away yeah, like these these girls are gonna mess you up. And so I was like, cool, I like a strong <laughs> character. I opened it up and I started reading. And so I assumed because like there's a whole situation where Honey's and it's taken from the perspective of the oldest, so Honey Jupiter, and she's also really into art. Their mom is very paranoid and has moved them to like this prepping compound essentially. And they they're not allowed to be friends with people. They're at school. They're not allowed to join clubs or do sports. Their pictures are never taken. They don't have social media accounts. They share a cell phone between them, between all three of them. It's like a flip phone. You get the assumption. Honey has an email address. Like that's it, which is like, you know, totally bizarre for the modern teen, right? Because they've got they've got TikTok, they've got Snapchat, they've got Insta, you know, they've got four email addresses they forget to check. They all have a cell phone. But yeah, no, not these kids. Learning how to fend for themselves. So they know how to hunt, they know how to fish, they know how to field dress animals, they grow their own food. They have goats and chickens. And in the compound, it's real sexist because the, the men live in the burrow, which is full of like guns and homemade explosives, where the women live in the nest and do all of like the gardening and taking care of the wildlife and domestic things. And I'm just like, that's stupid. <laughs> and Honey makes a lot of comments about how it's stupid too. Um, and how she's like, okay. it's really stupid. I hate it. And one of the things that she keeps coming back to is that she is an artist and she loves art, but she knows that this is the life that she has to lead because 
she's very much a rule follower and her mom thinks art is frivolous but she's like if the end of the world does come and we don't have art what is the point of living okay so there's that so interspersed between it though you get this perspective from this other kid that lives um in the bay area in california it turns out he and his mom who's a really famous artist who did um a lot of her work was based on uh interpreting shakespearean plays into art so like mm-hmm. modern Shakespeare, modern views of Shakespeare. And she's named all of her kids after Shakespeare characters. So he is the oldest and his name is Toby. And his three missing sisters are Katharina from Taming of the Shrew, mm-hmm. Imogen from Cybeline, and Cassandra from the Troilus and Cressida play. His sisters went missing like a decade ago. And like his mom has never been able to like work since then. And when she does work, all she does is draw paintings of what she thinks the sisters would look like now, or her daughter, excuse me. You kind of get the sense of like, oh, I, I bet these sisters are the missing sisters or the missing daughters. Hmm. Um, so you're kind of wondering as you read it, like, where is this going? And like very early on in the book, there's something that happens at school. So they go in lockdown. So the first thing that she does is she's in chemistry class. She gets on a stool, unscrews a vent. And just like bugs out, and like all the other kids are like, "What the hell is going on? Like, is is Honey part of whatever's happening? Is there a gunshot? Because like, they heard these pops." The teacher is like, "No, you shouldn't do this. Like, stay here." And she's just like, "I have to find my sisters because they always have a plan. Find this, like the sisters find each other, and they will figure it out." And throughout the book is also he has threat assessments for people that she comes in contact with, like, mm-hmm. like how reliable would you be? at the end of the world in the apocalypse. That's pretty fair. I mean, technically you could do that now. Yeah. And she doesn't just assess the people that she's in school with that are, are like outsiders. She also assesses the people in the compound because there's a new people to the compound. And there's also some political stuff that's happening that they get caught up in. That's not the sister's fault. It's the mom's fault. So it's this whole like mystery of like, will are like, are these really the missing girls? Like Toby and his mom are always looking for these kids. Like, will will there or won't they? And in the middle of all this with the, um, what happened at school is there's flashbangs that go off. And her little sister, the middle sister, Birdie, got pulled into it. There's, there's like, this whole conspiracy. And, like, it's, like, you don't want to talk too much about it because it's a thriller. Mm-hmm. You want people to read it. And, like, I think I got about halfway into this book before I was, like, oh, my God, I can't put this down. Because at first I was, like, is this really a thriller? Because I feel like this is moving kind of slow. But it's not that it's moving slow. It's just that Dimitra Brati is slowly expanding your world of what prep, this prepping compound is like so you can fully understand, like, why the sisters are scared of what happens if Birdie gets caught doing something she wasn't supposed to, you know, essentially child abuse is happening because mm-hmm. the old, the guy who's like the leader who of course is ex-military, his son ends up with a black eye and um, they're kind of adopted son. They send off into the woods because he's the reason why the whole civilian uh, op at the school, because he actually sent the kids in to steal something from the chemistry lab okay. um, for their homemade explosives. Cause I'm just like, seriously? And they use flashbangs, put them all this heat on them. And I'm just, oh my God, you guys are morons. At the same time, it's that whole paranoia prepper thing. And so the kid, in, in, and of course the kid that got caught is also the middle sister who's very headstrong's boyfriend. They've been sneaking around behind everybody's back. So it adds like the whole teen girl romance thing to it as well. And meanwhile, the older sister is just trying to keep the younger sister out of harm's way. And the little sister Blue or Cassandra often says these prophetic sayings she keeps telling honey you don't listen to the truth but you can see the truth and honey is like i'm listening to you right now and she will sigh and be like you'll understand at some point and we'll just walk away out of the conversation and you're like what and 
And Blue has a pet peregrine falcon that hunts for her, which is so freaking cool. Mm-hmm. So it's really, yeah. So I don't even know how to express. I still can't really book talk this book adequately. I feel like I'm thinking <laughs> about it. But like, you should totally read it if you like. So I don't think I've ever read a YA survivalist proper book. Like, I feel like this is a new, like we've, like there are survival books, but it's like there was a plane crash or like you get separated from the group, you know? But this is like intentional, like paranoid. We've been saving boxes of macaroni and cheese. We have a cast of fresh water. If there's no power, it's okay because we have a generator that's like a hand crate. Like, yeah, there's all these like contingencies. And throughout the book, she has like these acronyms that she explains like the three R's. Like you have to be ready, responsive, and reactive. And she's like, oh, I got the ready and responsive, but I failed on the reactive in that situation. So she's constantly <laughs> assessing herself too. And of course, there's like a boy that she likes that comes into play. It's really, really good because you get the trauma too for from the mother and the older brother's perspective of losing the daughters slash sisters and like how that's affected them too. Because the older brother has never stopped looking for them either. And is always like, occasionally he'll stay up all night looking through social media, just trying to find something. Um, Cause he's like, they've got to be somewhere with all the social media. Somebody has had to snap a picture of them kind of thing. So you're kind of waiting for that sheet to drop at some point. But also he's a street artist and all of his street art is based on his missing sisters and how he feels like the police have given up, which is heartbreaking. But yeah, so it was good. Commend it. Um, it definitely wasn't what I thought it was going to be, which was even better. Not that I thought it would be bad. It's just like, I thought it was just going to be like, oh, the end of the world is going to happen and these people will survive. Like, it'll be like, why the road or something? Yeah. Uh, but no, it, wasn't. it was really good. I mean, so what age would you say this is for? What, is it high school age or is it as young as grade seven? Um, I'd say it's high school age. Again, I always say if you have an eighth grader that's like a voracious reader, they would totally be fine for it. But there is some stuff in there that's there's there's some possible, well, we'll spoil it, but, you know, there's some murder that happens. There's some, there's, there's some gunshots and there's like some bow hunting. And so if you... It's 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 got a lot going on. On the topic of like prepper books, I do see it coming up more than I did. And you're right, not just as a reactionary to the thing happening, but people actually prepping. There's one book I read in the quarantine times, um, "The World Ends in April," by mm-hmm. Stacy McNulty, uh, same author of uh, "The Miscalculations of Lightning Girl." Also middle grade, but super different tone Um, because they're selling it as like, is middle school drama scarier than an asteroid heading for Earth? And you don't know because it's a book world. You're like, wait, is this true? Is it not? There's a girl that reads um, an article by this scientist saying that, yeah, this asteroid will strike Earth in April and April's not that far away. And the thing is, is that her grandfather is a prepper. So she has been trained her whole life of like, got to have your bug bag, your bug out bag, got to have your stuff ready. What if you actually have access to that kind of materials? And what if you believe it? And she actually starts spreading the word to the other middle schoolers. And she even creates a secret end of the world club. There's a lot, again, a lot of acronyms you learn in this one, um, but it's kind of fun. And there's another book that I read that due to COVID-19, the publication date was supposed to be spring 2020, but now they pushed it to December 2020. That kind of is also like a prepper, but they switched it. It is the the ballad of Amy Miles, Amy with like a uh, with an I, by Christy mm-hmm. Dallas Alley. So when I picked this up, because we did a grab bag book discussion club, we're like, hey, grab an arc of your choice, and like everybody reads something different. And I actually had two copies of this. 
And I got intrigued after someone asked a question and I was like, oh, this is like a doomsday prepper book. But actually I ended up turning out that, oh, the end of the world already happened and it's been generations. And actually she's, this girl's been raised in isolation at uh, her family's trailer dealership turned survival compound, you know, and and very few babies are actually being born. Her mother was one of the few fertile ones. And when her grandpa wants her to like marry a cold eyed stranger that is well older than her, she want goes on a quest to find her long lost mom. So that is like a weird prepper thing as well. There's way more than that that I'm not even thinking of. The one after I said that, like, I don't feel like there's a lot of prepper books. I just remembered I read dry last year. And it has a prepper family in it who are horrible people. Mm-hmm. Well, the dad's horrible. I feel yeah. like you can't really be a dude and be a prepper and be a good person. The whole point is that you survive or your loved ones. And if you are not one of family or they're ones chosen to protect, then you're an outsider. So you're seen. You're expendable. You're expendable. Yeah. You're threat. You didn't prep. So it's your fault. And then, you know, and sometimes in quarantine time, they're like, you didn't have 30 million things of toilet paper. Well, you know, it's like you didn't prep for this eventuality. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a not cool way to live. Yeah. Do you have any questions? So I actually had a question and I kind of know some of the answers, but I think it's a fun thing to discuss is that we know graphic novel is a format, not a genre, but graphic novels can be fiction, nonfiction, history, fantasy, or anything in between. Graphic novels, format or genre, what do you think? It's a format. Uh, and there's, it, it's just, these are books with art in them, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have genre, like it's a format, and then there's different genres of graphic novels because it's, there's different genres of like books. But also there's fiction and nonfiction graphics as well. And I know that like there's some places that put their nonfiction graphic novel, like the adult ones, in with the regular adult nonfiction. Yeah. Uh, I don't agree with that because you lose them. When you create a graphic novel collection, what you've created in the library is a highly browsable collection. And people don't really browse nonfiction with the zeal that they do for fiction and graphics. So, and like for what I did is like our nonfiction and fiction are just done together. If it's a series, then the call number is the series title. If it's a standalone, it's the author title. Books about comic book history or how to draw comics are then put in the the Dewey 741.5 at the end of my graphic novels um, to kind of deal in it like, hey, this is what this is all about. That's just how I did it. Other people do it different ways. Our originally, our adult graphic novels were interfiled and I was just like, yeah, no one's ever checked these out. Like we're moving them. There's many genres. We have superhero comics. We have historical fiction we have uh non-fiction i have a book that explains the constitution in graphic novel form i've got memoirs i've also got biographies like about people like andre the giant or muhammad ali or roberto clemente or so so that's how i did it um i don't know how y'all do it at your library i mean i think it comes down like you said to to you want it not to get lost you want it to circulate you want it to go out so what's the conversations that I have with my cataloger all the time is that I will buy a lot of LGBTQIA graphic novels. And a lot of them coming out now are like memoir based or based on my life of really good authors. Um, like one that was just circulating a bunch right before the shutdown was Gender Queer, a memoir by Maya Kobabe. Kobe? Oh, yeah. That, that, yeah, that is such a great book, too for people that are looking to understand the nuance behind the idea of a non-binary 
gender identity. Yes. But now if you think for a moment that, okay, I'm going to, this is a memoir. I'm going to put it in biography. It's going to get spined out. It's not going to get seen anywhere near as much. Um, it was still on my new teen graphic display and anything that was on faced out on a little stand and new teen graphic would just go to every, it just people would come in and take like six or more at a time. It was so good. If you were or someone that was like, nope, it's a memoir. It has to go in nonfiction. I'm like, yeah, but it won't circ and it's not going to reach who it might need to reach. And there's just, it's people just love to come and shop our graphic novel section, regardless if it's nonfiction, if it's based on a true story, if it's a fantasy with werewolves, is it a retelling of a, a YA novel? Is it that this just, they love the format. So they, they want to shop that one. So yeah, we've had a couple things where maybe in the, we've put, when we first made our and expanded our teen graphic novel section, we took a couple things out of, no of nonfiction because when I before I came it's like this won't circulate we just want it to go that's the thing you always have the best interest of the book at heart even technically like Raina tells Jemayer's smile is nonfiction it's based on her life um growing up and her thing do you think it I mean actually it probably would have been just as a bestseller if it wherever it was but people found it in graphic novels versus like again find out in like your kids' biography section, which we don't get anywhere near as much traffic as we do as our huge graphic novel section in kids. Yeah, it's one of those situations too where I think you can probably say, yes, I've heard this too many times from some librarians that we know that they freak out about, oh, well, all the graphic novels are like memoir comics, right? You should read them and you should understand that there's actually a subsection of memoir, but there's a whole lot that are just like fiction and it's fine stop trying to like they keep trying to make it the format a genre and i'm like it, it no it's not it no <laughs> not that and i think it's just because it's oh it's an art book it's got pictures like so we put it here and i'm just like you don't freak out about picture books like this so why do you freak out about graphic novels like this still get people coming in who are like oh it's funny because they come in and they're like graphic novels like how how graphic are they in the sense of like, no, 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 not that kind of graphic. No, they're co comics, but so, but they're not all like comics. Like, and I don't know if by me saying comics or thinking of like Archie comics, no, no, like this, like Archie was awesome and they have modern updated Archie and you can get your nonfiction graphic novel and you can get your that. So there's still some misunderstanding, I feel like of what a, what is a graphic novel. And there's even some bias from educators or adults coming in. Oh, my kid only reads comic books and you're like great there's so many and it can really build confidence for a new reader that they're if they struggle with reading and they're like look I read a book in half the time it normally takes me and I can almost keep up with my other sibling that reads Harry Potter books in every hour you know what I mean like there's nothing yeah about graphic novels they're so good and the thing is is like once you have that reluctant reader who might have like dyslexia or something yeah. so graphics are a little bit easier for deciphering that code and code breaking for their brain yeah. once you have the confidence you can be like all right what was your favorite graphic and then you can you can match a book to the graphic and be like cool so i think you should read this one and give it a shot because you're telling me you like this and it has a lot of the same things so yeah and i really do agree about the whole building confidence thing and i think that you know a lot of our intermediate and even some of our middle grade have cartoon-esque pictures in them interspersed mm -hmm. and I like, like Diary of a Kid or, but yeah and not that books have genders mm -hmm. but that's it's something that's where they you know publishing pitches towards them and you know some librarians like pitch towards them too like oh we need more boy books and I'm just like or we can just teach boys not to be the way they are 
Um, and by saying that, I'm not saying like emasculate them. I'm saying teach boys it's okay to have emotions and feelings and it's okay to express them. Anyway, so getting back to that point, it's it's a thing, you know, it's it is it's not it's not a bad thing. It's okay. Like I read a lot of graphics, but that's why I always set my Goodreads goal for so high. <laughs> but at the same time, like I still enjoy like regular books too. It's just I really love horror and like there's a bunch of great horror comics. I mean, I have, I finally just went back to my library and the first three books I took, actually four books, were graphic novels. And I've already read two since Monday. What so did, it's been like two days. What did you take? Oh, okay. So I got the Wern book. That's right. I said it in a very obscure way. So it's the um, newly republished series that by uh, Svetlana Chmakova, the one of Awkward, Crush, and Brave. So I can't read that yet because I can't keep it on the shelf. I, because we're more close to the public, I actually got, there's even volume two on my shelves. Ah, amazing. So that, I just finished that again today. Cute, fun, totally younger, spooky. You know what? It's spooky. Exactly like we said before. It's a spooky book. And I'm sure once the kids realize that we have it, they're going to not be able to keep it on the shelves. We also have in her other series, I can't think of it. I think it's the Night School. School. Night School being one word series. Seems a little more um, teen. Uh, volume one, two, and three. We got them on the shelf. Again, the teens have no idea what we have. I also got uh, Dragon Hoops by Jean Luen Gang. Super excited because I read that one. It's like a 400-page graphic novel that you feel really good because you're like, yeah, I read this. And there's facts in it. I finally got to pick up the band Book Club. I had gotten an advanced reader of it, but I couldn't open it on my Kindle. And I finally got a copy of uh, Snapdragon by Cat Lay. So I'm very excited to be reading that today, tomorrow, over the weekend. And there's just, it's just so fun, even as an adult, to read graphic novels, because again, you can get through it so fast. Sometimes you get stuck on a book where before bed you're trying to read, you're like, cool, I got two pages, and ah, I just bounce through it. So again, even as an adult, don't think you're too good for graphic novels. They're made for you. There's so many good ones. Right? They're amazing. I know. There's And that's the thing. It's just don't be afraid to ask for help if you, if you want help for recommendations. Or it's such a browsable collection that you are literally turned on or turned off by the artwork. Like you might like the idea of a title. Ooh, and you're like, oh, this artwork? Not for me. Maybe you want color versus black and white or one single color tone that's not black and white. And you can, it's just so visually appealing that you'll know what you're kind of drawn to. And since you can read it fast, take a few extra. That way you have more. Like before the shutdown, people that were coming in, I was like, oh, do you want volume one in the series? If I had two and three and four, I was like, please take them all. Because as soon as you finish, you're going to want to eat it like candy and want to eat more and eat, you know, you can't have just one. You got to do them all, right? Exactly. Yay. So cool. Thank you for discussing the graphic novel format or genre where should it go <laughs> anytime so thank you for tuning into the book jam if you have questions please tweet us at the book jam one do you have anything else for us today marissa no i was excited so please if you have recommendations that you want to get if you want to know about some good graphic novels to kind of dip your toe into again ask us we would love to answer your questions pretty much thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on the book jam ah, i love when you say that you just got jammed.